This is Ken Williams of Unfold the Soul, welcoming you to the Status Grow Podcast. Let me tell you, this is going to be real talk focused on disrupting the status quo, baby. So, are you ready? Get set, and let's grow with your hosts, Paul O'Neill and Corey Radish. Oh, man. Got to thank Ken Williams for the best intro in podcasting i think right now maybe even maybe even ever paul i know i say it every week or every time we record but it i mean truly is uh a great introduction and uh how are you my friend good to see you i know we've been busy uh since the last podcast lots going on professionally and personally uh tonight uh for instance was my third daughter's uh senior prom so uh she her high school career is coming to an end um, and then it's on to, you know, next chapter of her life. And, um, um, you know, we will, we'll see where that, will that takes us, but, you know, a lot of conversations this week around how to finish strong during this pandemic and everything that we've been through, uh, and not just in education. I think, you know, as, as we start to open up, you know, into the public again, you know, how even people in other industries are, are dealing with, you know, being remote, being stuck at home. Um, you know, a lot of conversations we had this Sunday, even on coffee to you about, you know, breaking point, you know, reaching your breaking point. And we had some really lively discussion around not blanketing the profession with that term, because when we do that, we tend to then shy away from wanting to impart the change that we talked about throughout the even beginning of the pandemic. Remember we said we can't go back to the way it was, but a lot of talk right now about, you know, burnout, which, which I get, I'm compassionate. It's been difficult. I like the work, the word fatigue. I like the word, um, you know, exhausted even. Um, but I just get cautious when we hear that because we know the changes that need to take place in order to status grow. And, um, you know, I was wondering if you had any conversations this week after Sunday when we uh, had our discussion. Uh, most certainly. Most certainly did. Corey, good to see you, man. Episode five. Can't believe it. We are here. It's June. You know, summer summer is pretty much uh, upon us, the summer season, although you couldn't tell it based on the weather, you know, here in the New Jersey Shore. Um, you know, it was a wet, wet weekend we had. But uh Great conversation. The conversation was hot this weekend, so uh, it, it felt great, you know, talking about breaking point. And you know, it's interesting that that whole blanket statement piece was was powerful. You know, got to be careful because blanket statements create limiting language, right? And, and we definitely don't want to uh, to limit anybody. Um, and and everybody responds to things differently. It's kind of like stress. Everybody has stress. It's just how you respond to it. And the pandemic's been difficult for everybody on, on some level. You know, there's been loss for people. There's been uncertainty. There's been doubt. There's been a whole range of emotions um, that people have experienced and everybody handles that differently. You know, I think a breaking point and, you know, I think about as, as a New York Knicks fan, I'm still rocking the gear, man, but down three, one, like as a fan, you know, I, I'm at the breaking point, you know what I mean? But, but that's, that that's like, just a fan thing. You know what I mean? That, that's, that's not serious business. That's not serious work. You know, that, that, that's sports, which uh, they say imitates life, but uh, I don't know if it really does, to be honest with you. Um, I'll still root all the way, but um, you know, this is a great opportunity to, to talk about a conversation that my principal and I had Holly Nemec, um, you know, her from coffee EDU and uh, folks, if you're not following her on Twitter, you know, she is dynamic, um, amazing leader. So thankful to work with her every day. And what she talked about when we talked about breaking point she talked about the fact that 
we're very lucky in the sense, while this year has been very unique and it's presented unique challenges, we're very lucky in the sense that our year is very traditional. You know, and what I mean by that is certain times of year, certain times of the year, we can expect certain things to happen. You know, there's a there's a paperwork crush. You know, there is a a goals crush. You know, we've got to focus on our goals and standardized testing. And there's a behavioral crush, you know, at the beginning of the year when you're trying to, you know, set what the standard for your class is going to be through expectations and such. And then at the end of the middle of the year, you know, when the kids are thinking about the holidays and then at the end of the year when kids have summer fever and stuff like that. So we're very fortunate where we can see those things coming. And it was such an astute point that, that um, my principal, Holly Neiman, brought about. And um, it made me think and I wanted to share that with you. You because I think that that's something we can control. You know, we can't control the pandemic. We can't control the things that were thrust in our path because it was uncertain. It was unprecedented. It was all those things. We had to pivot, right? The favorite word of 2020, 2021. Had to make so many different changes. And and you're muted. Oh, not now, not now. And you're muted. That's <laughs> I, I had to check. I had to check, and I was like, wait a second. I just talked for two minutes, and I was muted. That was like some of the best, uh, the best work I put out there. Uh, <laughs> I won't use that word again. I promise. Um, but in all seriousness, Corey, this is a great segue to our guest. Like, um, I, I, we spent time with him last week. We would put out there on social media that he's not an educator, and I'm really proud of the fact that we haven't pigeonholed ourselves in this show to be only about educators and to be only about certain topics, you know, we're certainly going to grow and we're going to stretch, which really supports, you know, the whole title of what we do to status grow. So I think without any further ado, I'm going to send it back to you because you've got some good backstory to give our guests the proper introduction. Yeah, Paul, thanks so much for that. And, and, you know, you know, as we vox back and forth this week, leading up to today, you know, the excitement around uh, this next guest and and being uh, someone who's not in education, but can definitely teach a lot of lessons. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, for me, I spent a small portion uh, of in his life uh, in, a, in, a, in a place where we both worked. Uh, he was a little kid at the time. Um, you know, like I told you, always a great worker. Um, and always respectful. I mean, that's the one thing I remember about him. Uh, he, he just was always respectful to me. My, uh, wasn't my wife at the time. She was, you know, we were dating and she was going to be my wife, but she used to give him rides home, I think sometimes. And, um, you know, help him out, you know, while he was bussing tables and, and doing those things. And, and, and Paul, the beauty of, I think this episode is that this story, the lessons in it is it's for everybody. Right. Not that the lessons of our, our incredible guests in the past four episode are not. You could take something from each of those episodes and put it into your personal life. But this guy's story, you know, and, you know, I tried to hold back tears when we had the production meeting. You know, the pride I have in, you know, having him on right now, you know, I'm getting a little choked up at, you know, just going into the introduction, you know. Because when you, everybody out there in Status Grow Nation, when you hear this story, you realize that you could get through anything, right? You, if you just put some belief and faith, you know, sometimes a little prayer and have that, even just a, just a bit, a slice of hope, and that's going to come into play in a second, you know, 
you you could do anything, and so it is with with the utmost pleasure and pride uh, to introduce my friend uh, Dan Hoff, but we call him Dano. And welcome, Dano. Welcome to the Status Grow Podcast, my friend. How you doing this evening? Fantastic, guys. Fantastic. Living the dream, one day at a time, man. Yeah, you know. You know, you say live in the dream and, and somebody who's just listening to the opening of this podcast is like, oh, you know, that's like cliche, right? Live in the dream is cliche, but you are actually living the dream because we're going to get into it a little bit. Everybody out there, Dan is is going to be very raw and honest and he's going to be an open book about where he's been in his life. But this man is actually every day that he wakes up, he's living the dream. He used a term during our production that that has stuck with me that like he's won the lottery of life. And each day he feels that, you know, when when he wakes, he's won the lottery of life because, uh, you know, folks, Dano is a, a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. Um, who went down a very, very dark path. And, you know, we're going to talk about that. And Dano, just share with the audience a little bit, you know, a little bit about your upbringing. I know there were some things that happened in your childhood that caused some pain and strife that, you know, everybody has to own their mistakes, right? So it, it's not what put you uh, with the bottle or put you using some drugs, but there were some things that happened. So let's start with your childhood and just share that out a little bit. Yeah, no, no problem. And um, yeah, it is an open book, Corey. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't know that I will at all live up to, um, to the very fond and, and, uh, <laughs> and built up um, intro you, 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 you laid out for me. So <clears throat> no pressure, huh, kid? Um, you know, but, but I, again, I mean, you know, I, I think you're right when you kind of when you classify me as someone who, who feels like they've won the lottery of life because, you know, and, and I do, I, I kind of, my tagline is, you know, living the dream one day at a time. It's, it's the truth. You know, I say that and it does sound sort of cliche, but when you've lived the nightmare in your life, which I have, um, you know, I can say that with, um, with fortitude and, and gratitude, you know, that, um, that I truly do believe, uh, I'm living the dream one day at a time, you know, and, um, uh, you know, I, I think you did a pretty good job of kind of articulating briefly um, some of our history. And, you know, um, that history plays a, a large part in my story, that timeline, that adolescent period of my life. I think, um, you know, did, you know, it, it did a lot to kind of shape who I became, um, met a lot of people, met some great teachers um, during that time of my life. Um, a lot of people put in my life at that at that time. Um, that would play sort of an integral role of, of, of how I would develop and, you know, who I would grow into be. Um, you know, I think my story um, <clears throat> is not very special. It's, um, it's not very unique. Uh, I, I have a, a very, very similar story to a lot of people who, who, who um, you know, who have lived the life I have or who classify themselves as, you know, a, a, a recovering alcoholic and, and a drug addict. I, I will say that I can kind of boil my story down you know, to kind of, to four simple words, right? Um, pain, um, you know, gratitude, hope, and faith, right? I think if, if I look at my life today, uh, then, now, pre-sobriety, you know, navigating into sobriety and living a, um, a sober life, 
Um, I could probably point to those four words and, and not say anything else. Right. Um, you know, m my life is, is kind of con always was, you know, there was a lot of pain, right. Um, there was just a lot of pain associated with the way that I lived my life, you know, an act of alcoholism and drug addiction. And, and, you know, that's just a fact and a reality, I think, you know, followed by, by the pain, you know, uh, after I got sober, uh, came some gratitude just that I did, that I just wasn't in pain anymore. Right. If you just think about the, the actual physical, uh, relief and sort of the mental relief that comes, that's associated with, you know, separating, you know, from, um, from alcohol and drugs when you're, when you're, you know, when you're afflicted, um, you know, and then that gratitude kind of, if, if you're lucky grants, you know, leads you to some hope and that hope ultimately if practiced and actionized turns into faith, that's just kind of the cadence that I kind of experienced by the way, right. Kind of counting, you know, counting on my 17th year of sobriety, it's still not very different, right? <laughs> like, you know, um, newsflash, I can find myself in a whole lot of trouble and a whole lot of what we call stinking thinking, you know, fully separated from drugs and alcohol and certainly, um, you know, can be no stranger to pain. Right. And so typically speaking, um, my ability to affect or actionize change in my life is usually directly correlated with the amount of pain that I've experienced or willing to experience until I'm until I become willing to affect the change or actionize the change that's needed to alleviate the pain, right? Like, yeah. you know, um, not complicated stuff. Um, um, certainly has taken a long time to shrink that time frame of the pain, you know, to the action, right? Um, so, so I mean, we talk when we talk real quick about about pain. Um, if you if you don't mind, you know, letting you know the the listeners, the viewers, and that pain started when you were young, right? With your with your dad. You want to talk a little bit about that yeah. and where yeah, it so, led? Go ahead. Yeah, just to kind of double click, kind of just just to kind of take a, a walk back, kind of what 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 it was like, what happened, and what it's like now is kind of the format we we typically like to follow in my club, um, you know. And so, you know, I look back on, on that life that, I, that again is is sort of when I hear stories like mine. Um, is, it, you know, I, I come to, I come to, um, to realize that it's not very special and it's not, not very unique and it's not very different, that it's actually very, very similar to a lot of folks who, um, you know, who I associate with. And so, you know, I can track that pain back to some pivotal moments as a child. I, I think, you know, when I look at my life, you know, as someone who identifies as an active alcoholic, I think a lot of the, what we talk about the isms were there right at the very at a very very early age long before the bottle or the drug or the whatever came right they they were there i believe kind of i believe that i was <laughs> certainly born with this thing um you know but yeah i mean I, I i as a young boy i lost my father i was eight years old when my father died you know he was a, an active alcoholic and, and a drug addict he died of you know of aids in the 80s he was a heroin addict and um you know one day you know he you know he was sick and then about 30 days later he was dead you know, and so I look, I look back at that time and I think about, you know, I think about, I, I've got an eight year old boy right now, you know? And so I think about, I think about, you know, the pain that's associated with that. And I think about often, you know, about, you know, 
what reality is like for an eight-year-old boy when dad doesn't come home, you know? And, um, you know, it's, it's tragic to think about. And it's, it's certainly very sad. makes me sad now, um, for many, for different reasons now than, than really than then, um, for a long time, I was, I was sad and, and, and angry and, uh, and had felt, you know, all the, the, uh, the feelings that are associated with abandonment and, and that. But I think, when I think about that pain today, I think I, I look at my son and it's a different kind of pain. Right. And, um, and again, I think that that pain immediately today reminds me of the gratitude that I have, um, that one day at a time, you know, my, my, that does not have to be my reality. It does not have my, have to be my kid's reality. It does not have to be my son and daughter's reality to kind of wake up on a Tuesday morning in October and be, you know, be told that, you know, that dad's not coming home, you know? So, I will say, though, that it certainly um, was a linchpin in my life. It was a galvanizing moment. I, I feel like it, it certainly um, set forth a series of events that, that otherwise likely would not have happened. Did it make me an alcoholic or a drug addict? No. I mean, I, I, again, I think I was born with that. I think that was one of those things my father left me with. Um, you know, but, you know, I, I think it's part of my story and it's who I am. Um, and, and I certainly think that... Um, that it that it's pain that that later sort of manifested itself in, in some in some different ways, and that through the process of recovery, um, I was able to kind of uncover um, you know some some reasonings, some hows to the whys. Um, you know, I think after that, I kind of I had a sort of a, a relatively normal childhood, um, it, with exception to the fact that I was just always sort of an angry kid. Um, you know, I found myself probably a lot angrier um, than my, than my peer group, and I found myself you know lashing out in ways that at a very, very young age, I think, you know, everybody, you know, educators like yourselves and folks that kind of would have saw me on the radar saw that there was something brewing under the surface, if, if that makes any sense. Uh, to totally. You know, you, you, you speak with such conviction and I would imagine that, you know, finding your voice comes through some trial and error, you know, comes through some reflection and some years of experience, you know, and uh, as I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm, I'm sure Corey's feeling the same way, you know, we don't want to stop you, you know, at all, but we, we've got so, there's so many questions, so many things that come across our minds, you know, and I, I think you did a great job of describing the pain, you know, and, and listen, we're, we're, we're basically a one hour show. It could probably be a one hour show on the pain alone. Right. You know, but you, you talk about the pain, um, you know, I, I re and you talk about the gratitude, you know, anybody that's blessed to, to have children or to have young people in their lives that care about them, you know, that, that that's just uh, some gratitude in and of itself. Right. You're able to find some some motivation there and some inspiration to do some great things for the for the people that love you in your circle. Can you elaborate a little bit, though, uh, on the hope and faith part? You know, because I think sometimes people get that confused, you know, on what hope and faith really is and, and how hope and faith play a role. And I'm, I'm most specifically curious on not only how it's played a role in your recovery and, and current recovery, but how it's played a role through the pandemic. Cause I would imagine that probably threw a wrinkle, you know, into things might've changed some of your routines a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Great question. I think, uh, you know, when I think about life as an active alcoholic, you know, one of those words that comes up is hopeless. Right. And so, you know, we, we, we talk, kind of, um, you know, in, in, in our circles, you know, about just that, that hopelessness. And, you know, I, I think that's a feeling and sort of a, a, a tragic fate that, um, that only, you know, 
folks like me who identify as, you know, as al active alcoholics, I think can relate with. I think it's, you know, our common bond is the pain, um, you know, and I think that hopelessness that it's sort of just kind of despair and just that, you know, the lack of hope is just, um, gosh, I just, it's, it's, it's something that I just, I will never forget. I, I, I'll be damned if I do. Um, you know, and I think, you know, conversely sort of that, that hopelessness that's associated with active alcoholism addiction, you know, the, 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 pro, the progressively negative disease of, of alcoholism and addiction, right. Um, as equally as progressive is, is the positivity that is recovery, right. So as, as, as hopeless as, as active alcoholism is, you know, is as hopeful as active recovery is, right? And it's 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 equally as progressive in nature, in the sense that that it only um, gains speed and gathers momentum as it's practiced and sort of implemented into action, right? Um, very much similarly, you know, kind of two poles on the uh, um, driving in, in either directions. It's like active alcoholism and addiction will only ever get worse, right? Will only ever bring more pain, will only ever, um, you know, will only ever lead to bigger and badder things. Um, active uh, recovery and, and the practicing and living in active recovery, which which is work, by the way, is not something that just happens through osmosis. It's something that must be practiced, um, is equally as uh, uh, um, hopeful, Right. And so I think when, when we talk about hope, when I talk about hope, hope to me is, is something, you know, that's always there. Should I choose to see it? Right. It's, it's about uh, optics. It's about um, it's about kind of reshaping the lens in which you look your life through that you way you live your life. Um, it's always there. Right. Um, I, I, I look at it this way. I used to talk about before I got sober, I used to walk you know, out of my house every day, past the, the same damn set of pretty flowers, never noticed it. Then one day I walk, I got sober and I walked past that same flowers and I noticed how, how pretty they were in the sunlight, right? It's just, it's no different, right? The flowers didn't change. The path didn't change. The sidewalk didn't change. Nothing changed. Just the way that I was looking at them kind of was shifted. And in my opinion, divinely kind of altered. Um, so I, I look at my life and I think I look at my life in, in sobriety and, and my outlook on life and, and the ability to, the ability for me, you know, to, to be willing to see the hope in life is, is totally kind of, it's an inside job. And then I think if you double click into that, right, that the difference between that hope and faith is, is simply action and practice. Right. I mean, um, you know, hope is something that anybody can can have. Can any anybody can see at any given time. Faith is something that, you know, is, is taking hope and sort of, you know, now it's now it's work. Now it's time to put in the work and actually, you know, practice these principles daily, monthly, weekly. And over time, that faith is something that will, will come when practiced. Yeah, I mean so many things to unpack there, you know, action and practice that hope, hope is, is always there. And, you know, Paul, I, I think I might take the, the opportunity just to declare um, a status quo moment right there <laughs> that hope. And here's the thing, right. And, and this is where, you know, you find validation in so many different places sometimes, right? Like we're, we're Twitter nerds and we do our ed stuff and, and we get validated with the people, but you know, Paul and I are so into the word hope and instilling hope. Um, 
you know, one of the things I've said with my staffs, uh, almost to the point where they would make fun of me is I use the term merchants of hope. Right. As educators, we're merchants of hope. And we're, and we're going to talk more about that in a little bit. But, you know, understanding that hope is there. And I don't want to say it's a choice to see it, because sometimes what you're going through is really it's blurring your vision. But knowing that it's there, that hope is out there. And we're going to talk about how you literally stumbled into hope. Um in a second, because I want to kind of, you know, Paul's, Paul's like the, uh, the good cop. And I'm like the, the bad one that comes back to some of the pain. So I, I apologize, Dano, but, um, you know, in talking at the pre-production and, and forming your, you know, things that you talk about and then, you know, in recovery, having that positivity, having hope and faith, you know, there were a lot of things that happened to you. And the, and the reason I bring it up is everybody goes through stuff, right? There's there's different complexity to it. There's different depth. Everybody goes through stuff. You went through a lot of stuff. You just shared, you know, the sad story of your dad passing, you know, due to, you know, drinking drugs and 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 and, and getting sick, right? Um, you know, so you you grow up. I know that your mom is is one of your heroes in your life. Um, that did everything she can, you know, as a single mom to, you know, to raise good kids. And she did, I mean, you're a great kid. Then we get to, um, working at our rest, the restaurant together. Uh, you go from bus boy, you'd work your guys, everybody out, this dude worked his tail off, even through some of the, you know, drinking, let's say he still worked his tail off and, and, learned how to cook like and became a great cook under you know um you know our friends at the falcos uh at falcos catering and you know then obviously with anthony um who was a, a chef who took over after they sold the restaurant um and unfortunately dano you know it's a sad story that 24 years old he passes away while you're sitting next to him on the couch. Can you talk a little bit about how that was another moment in your life where you felt abandonment that really put you down the, the, the bad spiral? Yeah, I think it's, I, I, when I, when I share my story kind of in our normal format, um, yeah, you know, this is, this is a, this is something that, that obviously always comes up. I think at, at that time in my life, um, I was kind of, I was going one way or the other. I was, I was zigging when I should have zagged. And, um, you know, to your point, I, I had some great people in my life always along the way. I think um, God has always done a, a fine job of, 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 um, of placing people in my life who would, um, who would always kind of, who would be there to help. Um, you know, Anthony Marsco is just, you know, one of my greatest friends in life. I've got his name tattooed on my back right under my father's and, you know, was just, was just one of those, those special people had one of those smiles that could light up a room and just was one of those, one of those guys who, um, who I'll never forget, you know, and, um, you know, unfortunately, unbeknownst to, I think anybody, um, you know, Anthony had a heart condition that no, nobody knew about and um, not, not very different from any other Wednesday night after work, we kind of leave together, we go hang at his house and, and watch him Seinfeld and, and have a couple beers and sit on the couch. And, um, you know, and one night he just, you know, he kind of just started, just started choking and, and, and just dropped dead on his couch, terribly sad and tragic next to his wife who was six months, six months pregnant. 
and myself. I mean, we called 911 the whole bit. It was just really, really heavy at a at a at a pretty pretty crazy age. Um, you know, and, and Anthony was one of those guys who I looked up to. He's one of those guys who I sort of looked at as a you know kind of a positive male figure in my life. Um, was just crazy enough, but not really that crazy. Was sort of, you know, like the drink and party, but not like I did, right? Like was sort of a true north sort of guy um, who, who who I could count on, um, you know, when I you know, when I couldn't get out of bed at noon, would, you know, drive to my house, walk in the door and literally drag me out, right? And kind of drag me to work. He was that kind of guy. And so, you know, he'd punch me in the stomach and, and tell me I'm an idiot and then give me a hug at the end of the night, you know? And so it was just a, a special guy. And so I think that was, that was sort of the beginning of the end for me when Anthony passed, um, you know, that was, uh, I want to say 2003, I got sober in 05. That was the beginning of a, of a, of a pretty heavy uh, downward spiral that over the next, you know, year and a half to two years would, would take me to probably some of the darkest spots of, um, of my addiction. I mean, I don't think I've, I probably have done, um, the majority of the things I am least proud of along that period. Um, it wasn't pretty, it wasn't fun. Um, there was no party left in my party at that point. I think we talk a lot about, um, you know, kind of what happens when the, when the party's removed from your party. And, and, and at that point it was just a lot of, you know, empty hotel rooms, um, three, four night runs, with no sleep, no food, no money, and uh, just a whole lot of darkness and hopelessness, frankly. Um, it was then kind of when I experienced kind of the worst of, 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 of alcoholism and drug addiction. It was then when, you know, the I, I knew a guy who had pills. It was then when I would consider, you know, get, grab a bottle, grab a bottle of pills, chug it and don't wake up. And I think, you know, it was, it was, it was at that time kind of up until January of 2005 when I finally, you know, luckily uh, was granted a reprieve um, that I was, you know, regularly con considering suicide. So I think kind of circle that fully back to, you know, living, living the dream one day at a time. It's, you know, what we do here, what I do here is, is truly one day at a time. In the beginning, it was one hour at a time. It's one minute at a time. I'd never gone any time in my life more than a day or two or five. I remember when I had seven days sober, clean from drugs and alcohol. To me, that was just, I certainly uh, you know, was starting to feel like I had won the lottery of life. I just, I couldn't comprehend that. Um, so I think, you know, when I look back on that time in my life, I, I, it's one of those, it's, it's, it's a time that I pray I never forget. Um, I don't mind talking about it. Um, it's not, um, it's not something I shy away from. It's not something that I run towards. It's, it's frankly, neither here nor there. I just, I just pray that I never forget it because, uh, because I've been told that, uh, if I forget where I come from, I'm, I'm sort of doomed to repeat it. That's uh, that's powerful stuff, my man. I, I appreciate you talking so openly. We both do. So, you know, you talk about special people in your life, you know, and in education, we say excellence doesn't happen in isolation. So, you know, there was some key people in your life. And we also talk a lot in education about purpose, you know, finding your purpose, finding your why. And in pre-production, when we sat with you last week, we, we talked about your service to others. Now, I don't want to give away the, the big piece because I'm going to leave that to Corey. You know, there's something that you found, you know, during the pandemic that, you know, was just amazingly fantastic. But I want to rewind before we even get there. And talk about, you know, the days where, you know, you're first going to meetings and you, you're, you're, you're checking out that landscape, you know, you're figuring out how you can trust, how you're going to share, you, know, you get past that because we can tell, I think one of the things that uh, made 
you were very logical guess for us is that you like to serve others, you know, that you enjoy serving others. And that was such a big part of your recovery was your service of others. So can you talk to us a little bit about when you first got into meetings and realized that you had a higher calling beyond yourself and how service to others played a role and continues to play a role in your active recovery? Yeah, I think, look, it's, it's, you know, depending, you, you ask my sponsor, maybe he'll tell you how active, active I am in, in, in helping others. Maybe <laughs> he may, uh, he may tell you the real story. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think, look, you know, the reality is when we talk about, um, you know, kind of, you know, what, what happens in recovery, it's, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's sort of a, we talk about it being a selfish program, right? It's like, you know, I, I'm going to help you because I, because I have to, and because it feels good. And because if I don't give it away, then I can't keep it. Right. And so it start it almost starts there. Um, you know, if you hear some of the old timers in the program, they talk about, you know, it's a selfish program, right? Um, it's sort of like a duplicitous meaning though, right? I mean, they, they say that kind of almost in jest, right? Because it's sort of this self-serving cycle, right? Um, you, you do it because it feels good, right? You also do it because it, it, I have to pass it on, right? I, I, I have to share this gift that was so freely given to me, right? Um, I pay nothing for, for the wisdom, the, the, the relief, um, the family, the cars, the houses, the, 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 all the stuff that comes along, um, you know, basically everything that I have in my life today, right? I can literally trace back um, to being a result of my my engagement and, and ability to to remain actively sober and, and engaged in, in the process of recovery, right? Like without it, I have none of it, like none of it, not just some of it, like it all goes away. Um, so it kind of all starts there foundationally, right? Like I am just, I, I know this, not only because in the beginning I was told it, uh, and I was told, you know, if you don't believe, believe that we believe until you believe, right? And so I believed, and then I experienced it, right? And then I actually began to, you know, affect this change in my life that we that we talked about. Um, and I, I, I was, it was what, what was, you know, kind of told to me was was proved in reality, right? I look at it this way. I remember I, I had about. It, they, they say when you first start going to meetings, they say make 90 meetings in 90 days. And I remember hearing that at one of my first meetings thinking these people are got to still be high because that is not going to happen. 90 meetings in 90 days. What what the hell are they still smoking? Um, you know, and and I'll tell you that 90 days later, when I when I had made 90 meetings in 90 days, it was the single greatest accomplishment of my life up until that point. I was 24 years old and I had never accomplished, truly accomplished anything in my life, right? I barely graduated high school. I had always been a worker to Corey's point. Um, I, I, I never went to college. Um, and I just, I, I never really had a feeling of accomplishment in my life. It's kind of sad to say out loud. It was, you know, it was really sad then. I mean, I look back at it now and I just, it's kind of part of my story. But, you know, when I made 90 meetings in 90 days, it was, it, I, I'm telling you, it was the single greatest accomplishment of my life. I, it was the first time in my life where I truly felt like I was doing something good, um, that I, I was working towards something that was going to be a positive influence in my life for the first time ever, really. Um, and I remember I used to stop. I was living in Asbury on 3rd Ave. 
um, kind of two blocks in from Memorial, right across from the Super Extra Mart. And uh, I used to pick these guys up at a halfway house on my way to the meeting in Belmar at the Shoreline Club on 10th and Ocean. And um, I remember this old man, Howie, who's since long gone, ended up having his leg amputated, was a great guy. Um, you know, I remember him stopping me at one of these meetings saying, Hey man, that's a really good thing you're doing for those guys. You know, that's, that's, that's keeping you sober. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, you know, you're picking those guys up and, and, and dropping them off for the meeting. I'm like, how they live literally like 10 houses from me. Like I'm not doing anything. And he's like, no, man, you don't understand. That's keeping you sober, dude. You're helping another alcoholic. And that's what you need to keep doing that. Because that's going to play that that is going to that's what's going to keep you sober. And I remember thinking like I had heard it. I had they say it, you know, help others, clean house, right, and all that stuff. And then, you know, again, this is kind of just God working in your life. This isn't something that I sought out or something that I I was looking to kind of to do to help myself. It just you know these guys seem cool. They lived in the halfway house down the road, and I I was like, hey, do you need a ride, right? Like, um, you know. And so again, I think. It was somewhere along there in the beginning that I realized, hey, help comes in many different ways, right? Um, there's there's tons of guys in you know in in the program that are you know sponsoring a bunch of guys and they're reading the book and they're doing what they call the work and you know and then there's other guys who pick guys up and drop them off for meetings, right? And then there's other guys who just you know put their name on a phone list and um, you know and and they're there when someone calls, right? Help comes in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, in and out of AA. Um, but I think, you know, without doing that, without actively seeking out how I can help, right? Um, it, it's hard to find that purpose in, in, in my life if it's, if it's not there. Yeah. I mean, it's, and I think that's what resonates the most with Paul and I is, is service to others. You know, we, we started a online, you know, virtual, coffee chat that was originally in person and then the pandemic made us you know switch it to online and and the people we've met along the way and you know hearing them you know say certain things like you know if it wasn't for this group i wouldn't say something or uh with this group i found my voice you know you know paul and i you know when we vox i don't know like 70 times a day so we talk to each other more than we talk to our wives i think and um you know, we get emotional about that because, you know, when you give of yourself and, and you do it authentically, that's a drug, man, to me. Like when you, you know, can put your head on the pillow and, and, and realize you help someone. And, and I want to get into that. I mean, you know, just as we recap, you know, you shared with us that you literally stumbled in to your first meeting. Um, I think it was January 4th, 2005, if I'm correct. correct. And, um, thanks. And, uh, yeah, I remember some things and, um, and, and folks out there, um, Dano has been sober ever since stumbling in literally, we're not, we're not, this is not figurative speech here. He literally stumbled in after, you know, a bender and, um, you know, took the bull by the horns and 17 years later, 17 years later, he is a, very highly successful regional sales manager for a pizza cheese, uh, uh, yeah, a cheese for pizza company, and um, married to an incredible woman. He has two incredible kids that uh, can surf way better than I can, and um, you know. So, 
where the story really comes back to what we talked about on some of the tweets and conversations about, and I don't say, you know, I, I shouldn't use the word restore. And I did in a tweet. I don't, my faith in humanity doesn't have to get restored. It just, you know, it just gets revealed in different ways. A lot of times because I believe most people are kind and just, I really do. I think the media kind of taints how most people are, but so Dano goes through all this. He, he becomes this, incredible uh sales executive he leads his own team uh he decides to buy a pizza oven for his backyard because why do i want to go out and buy pizza when i can make it better myself right because he's that good at it and so dano you, you were sharing that when the pandemic hit now here's two things one when the pandemic hit and this is something that you really made paul and i think about People in recovery couldn't go to face-to-face -face meetings, which is really important in their recovery. You know, the, the virtual, you know, it's obviously different for kids taking classes, but to have that support, that physical connection of people was something we, we took for granted. We didn't realize, you know, the challenge of not being able to go to face-to-face -face meetings. So you say to us, what the heck am I going to do? What am I going to do stuck in my home and tell us how the idea of slices of hope, which I, I, I here come my goosebumps. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with myself to share with our audience and the millions listening. I, I hope there. Oh yeah. There's the shirt. <laughs> tell us, tell us how slices of hope starts and, and, and take us through to what um, you have done in accomplishing your dream of having your own restaurant. Yeah, no. Look, slice of hope is is is, is certainly um, something that I'm, I'm proud of. Something that um, just is a feel good story. Um, I think you know you're right. Um, the pandemic happens, right? I'm an active guy. I lead an active life. Um, you know, I, I I manage a sales team. I cover the country. I'm on the go. I get on and off planes. Um, you know, I've got, a, a, you know, I get to do something I absolutely love to do to just think about that. I'm, I get to manage a, 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 a cheese brand and travel in the country selling cheese to pizza operators. It's, I, I don't even, I, that's like, if you asked me 20 years ago, what I wanted to do with my life, I probably would have wrote that down or not even that good. It probably would have sold myself short. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I've had an oven in my backyard for some time and I, I think, yeah, I mean, if you foundationally, the pandemic happens, um, and I'm sitting here kind of thinking, like, you know, what, what the hell, what am I going to do with my time, my life? Like, we, we typically my days are, my Saturdays are, you know, I'm up at six thirty, and I'm, I've got, you know, wrestling at eight, and soccer at nine, and you know, baseball at ten thirty, and you know, I'm usually, and I don't have to explain to you, Corey, um, you know, I'm usually I've got five sporting events before two o'clock on a Saturday, and I'm thinking, you know physically what are we going to do to pass the time kind of you know kind of reshape that and think you know, you know what what can i do to help like i mean to me you know i i i to me i kind of i felt like what we were living through something that was special that was different this was i, I had you had sort of that movie feeling right like the moment in the movie when it's like whoa like, you know, I sort of felt that, you know, and I, I just, I knew that, I knew that I wanted to look back on that time when it was all over, hopefully, God willing, when it was all over and say kind of, where were you? You know, what did you do? What did, to myself, you know, what did you do 
to help shine some light during a dark time, right? Like, I, I, you know, I think I look back on it and I can say that now. That's certainly where my head was at. I don't think I thought much about it then. I think I just kind of immediately sort of sprung into action. Again, I only know this because a lot of my customer base and folks that I'm connected with in the pizza business, I saw them doing this, right? A lot of the restaurants, the pizza shops that were making food and pizzas and sending them to the hospitals, you know, to support the frontline workers and first responders, right? Like I, I just, I'm connected with a lot of folks who were doing that. And I was thinking, hey, why the hell can't we do that? you know, out of the backyard brick oven. I mean, we could do the same thing. Surely there are some folks who we know who we can go support and show our support and kind of help shine some light, maybe deliver some hope, you know, in a dark time. And so that's kind of, that's where it started. I, I reached out to my neighbor, uh, Ronnie, who we sort of kind of quarantine bubbled with, right? Like he's got two young kids, my kid's age. And from the very beginning, we were like, hey, okay. They literally live directly across the street. And like, we're, we're going to just kind of get in a bubble here. And so at least we'll have each other. Um, and so, you know, I said, hey, man, let's uh, let's start shaking the trees on some folks who we know, you know, nurses, doctors at hospitals. Um, and let's make some pizzas um, and, and go bring them to some 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 folks we know. And and hopefully that can help kind of shine a little uh, brighten up their day. Right. And so that's what we did. We, we made 10 pizzas. We delivered them to a friend who works at Jersey Shore Medical Center. We had the kids draw pictures and sort of get involved. Right. Like feel better. Get well. Wash your hands. All misspelled and stuff, but cute enough. Um, and and that was it. That was the first slice of hope. We made 10 pizzas. We delivered them. And then, you know, the next day I was like, hey, that felt really good. Like, we should do that again next week. We made it, you know, I put a little note on Facebook and, and Instagram and, and said, hey, if you were someone you know kind of meets this criteria, frontline worker, first responder, or just someone who could use some hope, you know, or struggling through a hard time or, you know, let us know. We want to make you some pizza. So we put a note out. We got a couple feelers. Some folks around town reached out. So-and-so I know is a nurse. Reach out to them. We reached out to them. Okay. The next week we had two hospital deliveries. One to Monmouth Medical, one to, you know, the, the, the spot up in Shrewsbury. And then the following week, before you know it, gosh, I think our max, I think we did almost 95 pizzas one Saturday out of that little one single pie oven. Um, again, I mean, I had nothing to do with it. I, I think what all what I wanted to do was was to try to help, and I think a lot of good people, my, my my partner included, and then sort of what happened next was sort of just organic, in the sense that um, you had a lot of people who wanted to be involved in something that was good. And so, to your point, Corey, I I, I don't think um, you know I don't need my faith in in humanity restored. I think. The good certainly outweighs the bad. I think the bad gets a, 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 a more elevated spotlight at times. Is all um, you know. What I see um, when the, you know when the s hits the fan is the best in people, and that's what I saw um, when we started doing what we did. Um, after we kind of after we found that strain on the healthcare system, sort to sort of start to alleviate there in the summer. You you kind of. The hospitals sort of were, you know, it was things were getting better for a bit there. And, you know, it was less of a need. Um, we hooked up with a, a foundation out of Rumson Horizons, New Jersey. Um, and I got introduced to uh, to Lori, who runs that foundation. and was like, hey, you know, if, if I needed eight family addresses a week 
you know, would you be able to, and I wanted to feed them, you know, a couple pizzas, some salad and some wings. Um, would you be able to, to kind of provide them? And she's like, Hey, we've got 300 or so Monmouth County families who need support. So yeah, I've got 60 critical needs families. I can give you 60 if you wanted them, you know? And so, so what we started doing next was, is, is people were just reaching out. They wanted to support, they want to get involved. They want to contribute money. I was like, Hey, I don't want your money, dude. I've got the cheese. I've got the oven. I've got the contacts in the pizza business and I'm, I've got my time. Um, but people were just so sort of wanting to be connected to something that was that they felt like was, you know, organic and, and doing actual good. Um, and so, you know, we, we just we started, you know, we'd go to Restaurant Depot, pick up some salad mix, containers, dressings. We'd buy wings from my man, Eddie, um, who's our managing partner now at the restaurant. And uh, and we would we, we would coordinate these deliveries. And what we would do is we would we would kind of put a note out on social media and ask folks to raise their hand, and say, hey, we need eight hope dealers, hope dealers, delivery drivers drivers, you know, between 12 and 5 p.m. on Saturday for eight deliveries. And, and folks would just kind of sign up and then we'd just go ahead and and just we'd make a big whiteboard. We'd hang it in my garage and we'd line them all up and one at a time, a half hour apart. We'd set up um, we'd set up the deliveries. And just for instance, you know, Corey would come pick up the 1230, you know, and, and, and Paul, you'd be returning back with the, the hot bags, the pizza bags from the 12. And you guys would pass in my driveway like, oh, 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 you're doing a, OK. Yeah, it was. And it was just, gosh. I'll tell you, it was probably just one of the most awe-inspiring times of my life where we just kind of, so many people were just so dying to do and be part of something that was good. And again, I think all we were there, all we were, were, were we were just there, right? We, we happened to be there. We happened to be kind of willing to kind of do something and and sort of a bunch of really good people came together to do to do some really good. And I think, you know, kind of, you know, what happened in about August was we we just we found that life was turning back on right and people were kind of a little bit starting to kind of get back into some norms as well as we were um, sports were opening back up and so it wasn't over but things certainly changed I said hey this is something we really that kind of that, that we really felt like we did some good with so me Kenny big Kenny and, and, and Ronnie I, I was like hey if we just go buy a restaurant we can do slices of hope whenever we want. Matter of fact, we can call it Slices of Hope, um, and and we can make as part of our mission not only to run a successful and 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 um, and a profitable business because you got to kind of do that first. Is as part of that mission, our pro one of our primary purposes would be to kind of deliver hope to folks who need it, and so that's kind of what we do. Matter of fact, I was up there tonight because we had our you know our biweekly delivery to uh, the Catholic charities in Titten Falls, and you know we'll send you know three or four or five meals or so depending on their need um, every other week over to Catholic Charities and we have a couple other outlets who we work with on a weekly basis where we know that the food that we're making is going to people who, who absolutely need it you know and so that's kind of where we're at we're, we're in the process of sort of rebranding our restaurant that we purchased back in November uh, formerly over to, to Slices of Hope. Uh, that's awesome you know what I, I gotta say Corey used the word uh, restored before and, and in listening to the story, you know, in, in hearing you talk about seeing the best of people, you know, unfortunately, society sometimes can trend the negative. They focus on the worst of people in the worst of times. You know, unfortunately, the um, the cocktail of um, the pandemic and politics, you know, brought out some of the worst of people this summer and, and, and beyond. Um, but but there was plenty going on that was good. You know, unfortunately, the headlines don't always lead with that. You know, they lead with things that are going to you know, sell subscriptions and stuff. But you've truly proven that that anything is possible with, with some hope, with some faith. 
and, and I'm not going to use the word restored. I'm going to use the word refreshed. You know, you've refreshed my uh, my hope and my faith. And uh, I'm so thankful to, to to know you and to hear your story. And Corey, you know, we talk a lot about what's the title going to be. And I think I have the title. You know, I think it's very simple. I, I think it's a, it's a winner. We'll have to talk about it when we go into post-production with Dan and see if he agrees. Um, we, we can get a hat trick there. Um, but but before I kick it back to you, you know, I just want to thank our guest, you know, for being so open and, and for demonstrating that anything is possible. And uh, we appreciate you. And uh, we're in your corner and, and, and know that... Uh, we're proud of you. One day at a time. Anything is possible. Appreciate that, Paul. Yeah. yeah. It, you know, it's, um, you know, Daniel, this has really truly been uh, incredible to, you know, you talk about help comes in, in a variety of ways. To be able to have a partner like Paul and have a platform that we can share this story and you're so humble about it. You know, that's another thing I love about you. Like you're just so humble about it, but you know, we talk about, you know, you're not an educator, but what do we learn? You know, in order for change to happen, you have to do things differently, right? That that's the essence. I mean, it's captain obvious, right? That's the essence of change. And the reason that people don't change is because it's easier to stick with what you're doing than to have to put in the hard work around change and nothing harder than going through recovery of an, a disease that is so powerful like addiction, but not just going through recovery, you know, and you continue, right. You're, you're actively in recovery, you know, until the day, you know, God takes you, but then turning it into and manifesting it into hope, you know, you know, the hope, that's why I put the hope dealers up on the screen for uh, those that are viewing and those that are listening, you know, we popped it up there. What a great line. And I Vox Paul today. This is, this is going to blow your mind, you know, I Vox Paul today. And I said, and I'm going to put it out there right now that if I could find the time and you're co comfortable, I want to write the movie script, <laughs> right? Because I, I really, I think of the term hope dealers, and this is where I get choked up. If, if people, you know, everybody said, if you could be anything in this world, be kind. That's true. But if we can each give hope, even a slice of hope, and, you, and that's literal with your pizza and figurative, because, you know, what I said to Paul today in talking about you was that when you stumbled into that meeting, there was like a sliver, like a minute sliver of hope that got you into that meeting to get you sitting in front of us today where your service to people like you, yes, you create good food. I know you want to create good food. You want people to come back to the restaurant. You want people to order. But what I found to be so powerful is your mission of your restaurant is hope. And for me, and I know I can speak for Paul and a lot of other people out there, when you have an organization that has a mission and vision that's bigger than just a product you're putting on a plate. That's when I think, you know, the success will come and bro, I can't tell you how proud I am of you. Um, you know, the, the person you've become, the father you've become, you know, the husband that you are, the friend that you are to people and the co everything that you do. And, and the reason that today was such a good day and we're getting ready to release hopefully by Friday 
is we have a lot of people that we're in circles with that are struggling right now in a variety of ways. They're struggling professionally. They're struggling professionally and personally. They're, they're dealing with their own demons and, and trials and tribulations. And this story says, if you just have a little bit of hope, if you just have a slice of hope, anything is possible. And, and, if, and if you can't see it, hopefully someone's in your circle, in your family that can help you find that and reach out to it and, and get you that help. So, bro, from the bottom of our heart, thank you so much for being a part of this. Uh, everybody that's viewing, um, you know, go visit Slices of Hope. If you're listening and you're in New Jersey, I'm talking about the whole state. I'm not talking about just Monmouth County. Hey, even if you're in New York, right? Staten Island is not that far away. Go visit Slices of Hope at Palumbo's Pizza and Restaurant. 24 Ayers Lane, Little Silver, New Jersey. The phone number is 732-842-5505. And let's go out there and, and do our own delivery of hope by supporting Dano and his mission. And, and hey, even contact him and you may even be a hope dealer. So, Dano, any final words as we close this no, out? No, you know what? I appreciate the kind words, Corey. I really do. And, um, you know, I think um, it's not that complicated, right? <clears throat> There's nothing that... That, that, that anyone can accomplish with the help of others and, um, you know, and just kind of taking it in small increments one day at a time, one slice at a time is, is what one of the taglines over there that we use. I think if you're struggling and you, um, and you feel like you need some help, just talk to somebody. I think, um, you know, it's, um, it's, it's certainly my story has been one um, that has, that, that, that has been, you know, empowered by folks who have been there to help. Um, and I think just, you know, being willing to kind of to, 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 to actively kind of seek out that help um, is, is kind of is, is that first step. And so it's a hard one to take sometimes. So, you know, I think part of the reason why I'm always so comfortable sharing my story so sort of um, loosely is just because, you know, we say in our program, you, you, know, you may you may be the only version of recovery someone ever sees. And so, um, you know, it, it's not always so easy to just kind of reach out and ask for that help. And I think sometimes some folks just need to know that that every day Joe's um, or Dan's um, can do it. And so they can do it too. So uh, I appreciate you guys having me. I appreciate what you guys are doing. Um, the whole status quo message is, is certainly one that resonates super well with me. I think keep up the fine work. I think, um, I think we need more folks in the world like you guys kind of, you know, just seeking the change. So appreciate you guys. Hey, thank you. You know, we're, you know, we believe that we're hope dealers and can't thank you enough. And Paul, you want to close this out, pal? Oh, absolutely. Thanks again, Dan and Corey. Let's make a pact to each other. You invited me to come out once you get settled in, you know, to your new digs. Let's uh, let's get over to Slices of Hope and, uh, you know, enjoy some pizza with Dan. Maybe we have an opportunity where all three of us are there together. Uh, that would be a great uh, status quo moment for sure. But uh, we'd like to thank everyone in the audience for for listening and watching our, our status quo episode five with our special guest, Dan, will be airing very soon. And uh, keep your eyes out, your ears peeled for more details about our next episode and our next very special guest. Hey there, Status Grow Nation. On behalf of Paul O'Neill and myself, we hope you enjoyed Dano's incredible story of inspiration and hope. We also want you to know that if you or you know someone struggling with addiction and or depression, there is help and there is hope.